Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonica. Alyssa, as a person mm. who lives in a cold climate, is it advisable to eat snow a la Reese Witherspoon? Listen, I'm with Reese on this one. We grew up drinking, licking like lead pipes and drinking <laughs> tap water. A little snow once a year from a pure source isn't going to kill anybody. Now, would I add uh, caramel, chocolate syrup, and cold brew to my snow? No. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But when Reese was pressed and it became an issue, I was like, girl, I got your back on this one. A little snow never killed anyone as long as it's from... Like I said, a pure source. Okay, but would you drink rainwater? Because I sure wouldn't, because the sky is dirty. Um, I don't know if you saw the very scientific thing that Reese did, which was that she melted the snow and it looked pretty clean. Okay. Also, I defer to Al Roker on this, who says, eh, it's not going to kill you. <laughs> that's true. There's a lot of In other small stuff. small doses. A lot don't of other stuff that's going to kill you before snow poisoning. <laughs> Although I did learn recently that if you are ever in a plane crash in the Andes <laughs> Mountains, that eating snow is not good because it makes you thirstier. Got to melt it first. Du really? Yeah, you got to oh, melt it the first. The more you know. Yeah, so check your privilege, Reese. You're not in a plane crash and eating <laughs> snow to survive. She's also not a cannibal because she's not in a plane crash. It's not technically cannibalism if the victims were not killed and harvested for their meat. If you eat a dead body, it's not cannibalism. Fuck, you know too much. I do. Alyssa, I really love the show this week. It felt so good. It felt so good. Well, Katie Couric is magical. In every way. She's like a news unicorn. She can talk about anything, but also very much understands like... You know, sometimes you talk about that. Some some people talk about things they don't know that much about. And she is not one of those people. And we love her for that. Exactly. And, you know, she talks to us about her recent interview with Kamala Harris mm -hmm. and her notorious interview with. What a great story. Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. Do they stay in touch? We'll find, find out. Find out. Uh, and then after this great far reaching conversation with Katie and then in addition to this far-reaching talk with Katie, we talk about the Biden administration's push to remind people about laws that already exist when it comes to abortion. Abortion, uh, abortion, abortion. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're kind of doing Just something. Just keep at it. Keep at it. That's all you can do. And then we talk a little bit about the March for Life and Ugh. how difficult it is for the pro-life, quote-unquote, crowd to just take the W just be shut done. Up. Enjoy shut up. yourselves. Put your you're, feet up. Yeah, you're Streisand affecting yourself into a future where we're we're gonna get abortions at Chipotle, guys. Ah! If, you keep, if you keep talking like the way Aaron's... you're talking, <laughs> I mean, they need, so they, it was a banger of an episode. They need another revenue stream because their food is getting worse, and so why not also do abortions at Chipotle? Look. Do a little mifepristone. Like a, like the Panera Charged Lemonade, except like a Mifepristone cold brew. Sounds perfect. 
<laughs> and then, of course, we got Sandy Petty. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people with go bags instead of hope chests. Accurate. Accurate. Do you have a go bag? Fuck yeah. What's in Come it? Come on. Uh, let's see. You have to have uh, – well, it's not really a go bag. It's more like a note card that tells me where very important things are in case of natural disaster or other emergency. Sure. So it's like we need the deed to the house. We need old family pictures. Only the things you can't replace. Okay. That makes sense. And the cats. <laughs> the cats. Yeah. I, I guess I have like a bag packed because I'm too lazy to unpack it when I get back from trips. It has like my toiletries in it and a couple yeah, outfits same. that I didn't wear. A few pairs of underwear. Throw in Some a first aid socks. kit. You're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. And some flares. And some flares. And some roadside flares, and you're ready to go. Um, During pandemic, I went through a little bit of a prepper phase where I was like, not really a hardcore prepper, but I was like, I got to have a battery charger for my car. I got to have a burner cell phone in case case this shit goes sideways. You have a burner cell? I have multiple burner cell phones um, that were purchased prior. They were purchased in 2020. And so they're even less traceable now than they were. I I've never used them. so sad that you didn't tell me you had a burner so I could get a burner and we could just like burner communicate together. Burners are uh, walkie-talkies for people that are afraid of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, the primary happened earlier this week. It was, a little, it was a little bit of a snooze. So we don't really need to go into it. Nikki Haley's still going. In it? Still in it, still doing it. I, I think the Pod Save America recap of the New yes. Hampshire primary pretty much sufficiently covers what Alyssa and I also think yeah. about what Next. happened. Um, but there's other stuff going on this week besides the um, bread and or circuses of primaries. Are they bread or are they circuses? I think they're circuses. Circuses. For sure. Um this week uh, would have been the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, you know, if it weren't for— May she rest in peace. May she may she become a zombie. May and, she only be hibernating. May she only be hibernating. <laughs> may she rise again like zombie Jesus. Um, every year, typically, Democratic lawmakers commemorate the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. This year, the Biden administration— is commemorating the anniversary by announcing a push for more abortion access at the federal level. Before we, re- we react to it, let me just kind of go over some of do the it, points. Do okay. it. We'll be, we'll be calm and quiet. So the campaign, the Biden campaign, had some pro-choice rallies in Wisconsin and Virginia, and they launched a new TV ad featuring a Texas OBGYN who was forced to travel out of state to terminate her wanted but non-viable pregnancy. The ad aired during The Bachelorette. I think they also aired it on HGTV and other places that have— TLC. TLC. All my faves. Uh, primarily female audiences. We know exactly who they're going after with this ad. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has started a program that can educate patients and doctors of their rights under the existing Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, or EMTALA, which sounds like a model of car. EMTALA. 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 The EMTALA has been a topic of conversation in courts recently um, because there are several states, including Idaho and Texas, that have very draconian abortion bans that come into conflict with EMTALA. EMTALA requires that emergency rooms provide care to people who need it, basically. It doesn't matter what kind of care they need. If you need an emergency—if you need emergency abortion care 
to treat a life-saving pregnancy complication. And before anybody says, like, why would anyone need an abortion? If you have hypertension, yep. like hypertension and your your blood pressure is spiking and your fetus is not yet viable, you need an abortion so you don't die. Mm-hmm. Like, that is one of the treatments for it. Hypertension and pregnancy bad combination. Um, In some cases, preeclampsia, any sort of uh, placental abruption, uh, heavy bleeding. There are are many. If you ask what possible thing in pregnancy can cause— There's a a lot. There is a fucking lot. And you asking that question means you're an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about and you shouldn't be having opinions about abortion policy because you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. But I'm getting sidetracked. Imtala requires hospitals to treat you if you go into the emergency room needing emergency care. So the administration is is also uh, issuing new guidance on what that means, and they've made a new website. So in case you do go to an ER and they're like, no, we're not going to give you a a life-saving abortion, and then you die and your ghost logs onto the internet, it's easier for your ghost to file a complaint about the hospital um, with a new website. It's actually pretty easy to follow along with. The administration is also issuing New guidance around the Affordable Care Act's provision that requires insurers to provide many types of birth control at no cost to women with health insurance, both for people with private insurance and for federal employees. Uh, The administration has also reiterated their commitment to protecting reproductive health care access to veterans and service members, as well as reminding the public that they're still fighting to keep Mifepristone legal in the courts. The Supreme Court, as we speak, is waiting to hear a case challenging the FDA approval and uh, availability of mifepristone. Thanks a lot, Fifth Circuit. So, Thanks Alyssa, so, much. so Alyssa Biden has repeatedly vowed to codify Roe if elected, and then he said he'd do it after the midterms, but he didn't, which isn't entirely his fault. Uh, with you know a Republican House and uh, Joe Manchin, yeah. And now what he's done is launch a messaging campaign about what Republicans will do if they have the power again. And mm-hmm. an education campaign reminding people of laws that already exist. Is this the most Biden administration could be doing here? Are we impressed with this? Oh, Aaron. I mean, here's the problem. Two things. One, vowing to codify Roe is problematic because you need to do it legislatively, which he kind of can't because broken house, right? So is what they're doing the most they can be doing? Yes, kind of. I mean, but it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. I don't know. I'm going to just say WWTD, Alyssa. What would Trump do? And I I don't think that he's a great role model for anything. He's not. He isn't, but he is a really good role model at just throwing fucking spaghetti at the wall. He is. So you could be doing like executive order. Like the problem is Democrats sometimes are a little too cerebral, right? So it's like, yeah, you could be fucking throwing, you know, executive orders against the wall. They'd make their way through the court system based on the highest court in the land. God knows what would happen at that point. But like basically what's happening right now are a series of steps that are helpful and are trying to help women. But unless you are so hyper vigilant and following the thread of all these things and have the time to do so and aren't in a crisis where you need to sort this out quickly, this is really fucking like not practicable for people who are in a crisis, which is what this is meant to help. You know, if you are like Aaron, you and I have like sadly gallows humory joked that like 
if you're in an emergency room, do you need to put on a t-shirt that says, are you in my network? You know, so mm-hmm. that you, so that when your insurance tries to deny you, like everything is so fucked up and hard that like getting someone who is in a crisis, who needs an abortion to understand Mtala is hard. It's yeah. not, it's just not hard. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like there is too much happening. And I think that like, Right now, some of the things that they should be doing, which we've seen governors talking about, Governor Whitmer, Governor Westmore in Maryland, talking about like Biden and and President Biden and Vice President Harris out there talking about it helps. Because if nothing else, they should be rallying people in states where constitutionally protected abortion does not yet exist. I mean, and Aaron, you and I have also talked about I don't know, maybe they should help fund or put muscle behind ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment, which is one avenue potentially to protecting abortion. So like, like to your point, Trump would be doing all those things if the shoe were on the other foot. And he wouldn't care if it was hard mm-hmm. or well, maybe like child, unpopular. It's like watching a child trying to play a PS5, just hitting a bunch of buttons, see what makes the guy jump. Like that's, we need to, exactly. and we're just sitting there <laughs> If you can't tell, I recently got a PS5 and don't know how to play it. But like, <laughs> we're just sitting there holding the controls and being like, "This is too complicated. We can't, we can't push any of these buttons." And it's like, I kind of wish that we were more likely to, or more willing to button smash as Democrats. And um, it's just, it's not really happening. And part of it is, you know, Joe Biden has been very public about how he's personally uncomfortable with abortion because he's a practicing Catholic. I'm sorry. I think that Joe Biden has a good heart and is a good man. And I think that he's accomplished a lot more during his presidency than a lot of people give him credit for. Totally. But when it comes to men over the age of 50 talking about their being uncomfortable with abortion, I don't fucking care. I don't fucking care if you're Can I quote you? It. Can I quote I, you? I, I truly quote, don't fucking care. Let me be the first to say to anyone who lacks the plumbing necessary to give birth, I don't fucking care if you're uncomfortable with it. I don't. I don't. I, I think that it is— I just like to quote you. Thank you. I think that it is bizarre and creepy that this is not a decision that is left to a, a woman, a pregnant person, and the medical provider that is— assessing the care that she needs. Now, I think that there's also, you know, pushback that's like, oh, so you think she, do you think abortion should be legal up to the point of birth? I don't think that there is a reputable licensed doctor in their right mind who would perform an elective abortion on a person who is 40 weeks pregnant. That is no. not something and it's like fake. It should be it should be something that is doctors will not commit infanticide no. While acting in accordance with the Hippocratic Oath guidelines uh, of their practice and their specialty, this shit, it is so weird to me that the government is involved with this at all. And acting like it's a real issue. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it is a real, the fact that they're denying people oh, this well, right yes, that, is a real correct. issue. But like, why are we spending so much energy talking about this thing that should be regulated within the medical community? Correct. Uh, I was according, I was talking about abortion at yeah. the fortieth week. Oh, yeah. It's it's that's not a thing that happens. And no. like it is and, and the cases in which there have been 
super late-term abortions that were performed on women in unsanitary conditions, that was extra legal. That That's already not yeah. legal. That was, you know, like Dr. Kermit Gosnell was, his clinic was an absolute horror show. That is not a hospital. That is people going outside of the law to obtain care. And like, right. it is just, it, and outside of the medical fields, like codes of ethics to obtain care. It should be between doctors and the people that need the care. And it is so creepy that so many people feel like it should be a government issue. It makes me feel crazy. Anyway, uh, at least we've got Kamala Harris, I think, since it must be an issue of public policy. I think Kamala Harris is actually really good on this issue. Yeah, Um, she's out there. She's doing it. She's she's out there. She was in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, as as listeners know, um, there was a, a Supreme Court election earlier in 2023, Mm -hmm. in in April 2023, um, that resulted in a decisive victory for a pro-choice candidate in a a state that is usually like one or two points purple. So Kamala Harris being in Wisconsin is wise. She's a good messenger. Um, I think I'm glad she's out there. And um, I I also want to say, you know, as we go into the campaign, this is one of my pet peeves. Um, in the way that we talk about politics and political issues. People say voters are, you know, are are, are people going to make decisions based on abortion or are they more worried about the economy? I don't know, man. As somebody who is who is very aware of how much children cost, how much birth costs, how much health care costs, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say they are linked. T- they're linked. <laughs> they are linked. And Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan has said recently that Having a child or not having a child is one of the biggest economic decisions that most women will ever make in her life. So why are we pretending that it is separate from econ—like, why are we pretending that voters are going to, like, value the stock market performance over the the micro-implications of whether or not they are forced to give birth or carry a complicated pregnancy longer than they than they should have to. Why mm-hmm. is that? Why are they fucking separate? Like the reason well, people are having a, and Democrats should talk about them together. Exactly, like Governor Whitmer did. And actually, economics is one of the big reasons that people choose to have abortion. The unaffordability of having children is one well, of the big reasons that people don't are and like a- Aaron I can't do like. This. Marjorie Taylor Greene's out there being like, we got to rebuild the workforce. We got to like do this. It's like, girl, let me tell you something. People aren't having babies because they can't afford them. That's the bottom yes. line. And, and That's we have, the bottom line. There is like this McMansion hillbilly class of people <laughs> that wants, seriously, that wants the birth rate to go up so that when they're 80 years old and yelling at the people working at Jamba Juice, there are enough workers for them to yell at. Like, it is so fucked. And, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene can kick rocks. Um, Let's talk—speaking about kicking rocks, let's talk a little bit about the March for Life, which is still happening. Something that's super interesting about the March for Life, it has been going on since, I don't know, since the early beginning of time. It's been going on for a long time, and it's a gathering of of creeps and losers who think that it is their business whether or not— Women that they don't know and have never met carry pregnancies to term. A lot of people who don't have the plumbing getting involved here. A lot of people without the plumbing. A lot of people without—you don't have the range. Um, (laughs) March for Life this year really brings into relief that it is really a march for people who cannot, for the life of them, just take the W and shut the fuck up. Uh, The worst thing—I'm just—I'm sorry, free advice for the the pro-life community here. As we have seen in the— 
coming up on two years since the Alito uh, draft was leaked of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe, um, the more, the less pro-life people shut the fuck up, the worse it is for them, right? Yes. The worse it is for them. They are, they are not doing well in, uh, they're not doing well in the voting booth and having a giant gathering of people who are like, we will never stop. We We're not done. Stop. This We're is not. just the beginning. This is the, it's like yeah, good. Thank you for reminding people of that because that is why people are voting in places like Kansas, Montana, and Ohio, yep. and might be voting in places like Florida, Nevada, Arizona, and recently Arkansas got some a ballot measure approved. Like yes. the reason that people in these states that you would not expect to be mobilized by abortion are being mobilized is because you have people that are like. We will not stop. Like, oh, my God, you guys are fucking it's, terrifying. Exactly. They literally are the only people not reading the exit polls of any of the primaries or any polling. That's like it's like, guys, people are actually super repelled, like like 67 percent of America is like, yikes. Yeah. Too much. Too much. And they're like more, more, more. They're like cookie monster. But mm -hmm. for women's rights. Gow, 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 gow. Yeah. And one one observation I've made about the abortion debate in this country is that prior to Roe v. Wade being overturned, there was one mission for the pro-life crowd, and that was to overturn Roe v. Wade. They had yes. one mission, and then they got it, and then it just sort of splintered off into all of these disparate pieces. They caught the car. They caught the car, and now they and can't now, agree what to do next. Like, do they want to outlaw birth control? Some of them want to outlaw birth control. Birth control. I know. Some of them Some of them want to outlaw IVF. Some of them want to come after, like, they're they're coming after things that it's like, nah, man, nobody wants, like, nobody, like, single yo, digits. Like, you went too far. Right. But I think that the pro-choice side has been empowered by, empowered by the most disempowering event in its history. Um, since Dobbs, we're united around like, holy shit, we need Roe v. Wade back. We need abortion protections back. We we don't totally agree on all of the details on it, but our first and most important goal is to reestablish protection for abortion. And so now we all have a goal that we're working for together. And they're yes. over there making fools of themselves in Arctic temperatures when they've already gotten most of what they wanted. Just well, shut the and fuck they, up. They got what they wanted, and they're on the fast track, something you and I have talked about just amongst ourselves a lot. They're on the fast track to promoting something like what's happening in El Salvador, mm -hmm. where there's a complete abortion ban where women who miscarry, women who have stillbirths, go to fucking prison. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, they're women like, who have given birth in hospitals and, yes. had the and had the baby die in the hospital are sent to prison for not taking better care of themselves when they were pregnant. Yep. Like, and that's, like, that's not hyperbole. Yeah. No, that's not hyperbole at all. Okay. So we have a lot more news to talk about that we just do not have time to talk about. But some, no, of, this is, some of this is developing. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the child yeah. tax credit. Tax credit. We're child, into that. Child tax credit we're going to get more into next week. That's something that is kind of in the works. And it might actually be a bipartisan effort to make life easier for families in this country, which is Bipartisan crazy. and bicameral. Bipartisan. Oh, what? my God. What? This is but with, it's not without some pitfalls, but we'll talk about it next yeah, week. Yeah, this is the most buy that our legislative branch has ever been. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Okay. So let's take a quick break. Okay. 
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. 
Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like denim shirt, denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just like beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, Ugh. Um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who would never complain about the news being boring because they've lived through exciting news times and have the standing weekly appointment with a therapist to show for it. Our guest today is an award-winning journalist, a number one New York Times bestselling author, the writer of the newsletter Wake Up Call, and the host of the iHeart podcast Next Question with Katie Couric. Well, okay, that gave it away. Please welcome to the pod, <laughs> Katie Couric. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so happy to be with you both. And thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. Katie, in honor of your newsletter, Wake Up Call, which I love and read every morning while I'm making my instant coffee because I've become so lazy. Bless what you. And in- But I, I can't deal with the instant coffee, honey. We got to change that. I'm going to send you a Keurig, I- not to be confused <laughs> with Keurig, but you cannot do instant coffee. I'm sorry, Alyssa. Listen, I will not Blue, allow it. Blue Bottle has a good version, but... That said, while I'm stirring and stirring, I'm scrolling my wake-up call, and we would love to know what is on your mind this morning. Is it more loose bolts on the Boeing 737 MAX 9? I don't know. Maybe talking to Kamala Harris? What are What's on your mind, Katie? Oh, what's on my mind is my interview with Kamala Harris, because it was pretty exciting to be able to do that, not working for a major news network, ha- you know, having her say, agree to do an interview with me for a podcast, for our newsletter, and for my social media audience. So um, we were very absorbed with pushing that out this morning. Normally, my podcast drops on a Thursday, but we were like, what are we waiting for? This is insane. We need to push this out to the world now. We thought a lot of people were going to be interested in the campaign because of the New Hampshire primary 
And, um, but one of our links wasn't working for a period of time. So I was apoplectic for a <laughs> nanosecond this morning as some friends of mine were like, we tried to click on the Kamala interview and it wasn't working. And of course my hair was on fire. We fixed it. It was a website problem. And now is all is all is well in the world, Alyssa. But Katie, that was I, that's no. been on my mind. Okay, we have to hit the pause button on this for a second because you're Katie fucking Couric. <laughs> so like, I would assume that people take your phone calls. That when they're like, Katie wants to interview you, Vice President Harris. That people say, when and how long does she need us for? Did you did you go back to the White House for it? Did you go to Nabobs? Did. did you? I Does that ever I, get old? N- no, you know, it was actually really well. We were in the uh, uh, old executive office building, mm-hmm. um, Eisenhower Executive Office Building. It's called now the EEOB versus the EEOC, and we took the train because there was bad weather in DC on Friday, and we didn't want to risk having a train schedule change on us. So I went with uh, my producer, who's my senior producer, who really digs in and helps me with all my interviews, Courtney uh, Litz. And then we uh, also brought Adriana Fazio, who's another producer who works very closely with me. So uh, we headed down there. It was really fun. It felt like the old days. You know, we had a a really great crew, uh, Mary Agnet, who works at our company, who does a lot of shooting and editing for us. And, uh, you know, just to, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. To, sorry. Uh, your that's, ringtone is Earth, Wind, ringtone. and Fire. Yes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. That's Ava DuVernay's uh, publicist, Liz, because <laughs> I'm trying to do something with Ava. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, so it was very exciting to be there. It was, you know, it brought back a lot of memories of getting a half hour to talk with a major political figure and really trying to figure out what issues you wanted to tackle, how much you could get in to that short period of time in a wide-ranging interview. And, um, you know, I loved the process of coming up with really smart, good questions. So I talked to my friend Brian Goldsmith, who's like, I call him Brianpedia. He's a (laughs) political brain like no other. And he helped me a lot. We worked very closely for my Sarah Palin interview back in the day. And he and I are are good friends. So I reached out to him because, you know, he's the kind of person who follows every step and nuance of what's going on in politics. And uh, so it was was really fun. And I really enjoyed talking to her um, and, and, uh, you know, tackling all these issues from immigration to Israel and Gaza to what's going on with reproductive rights to politics to their really historically low approval ratings despite the fact that they've, you know, things are going pretty well in terms of the economy. And, um, you know, I could have, I could have spent another hour with her, but alas, alack, she didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she seems pretty busy this week. Um, Katie, do you and Sarah Palin stay in touch? You guys pals? No, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you betcha. No, we don't. We don't. You know, know, I kind of have mixed feelings about that interview because you'd have to have ice water running through your veins if you didn't feel some... uh, empathy for her. I think she just was not ready for prime time. I thought it was such a cynical choice by the McCain campaign Mm -hmm. to try to capitalize on, you know, Hillary Clinton's popularity. And, um, yeah, I just, I, uh, 
I don't, she and I are not friends. I have never spoken to her since that interview. I know she's written about it. She called me the perky one, like that That was going to get back at me. I was like, ooh. Um, no, I mean, Katie, it's not like the questions you asked her were gotcha. I mean, you asked yeah. her what she read. I know. It's so funny, you know, looking back on that, that that, I guess in a way that encapsulated her lack of intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interview, there were so many more questions in that that were really thought out that that were designed to gauge her ability to be a critical thinker, her level of accumulated knowledge. And I think it's sort of funny that that was the soundbite heard around the world. Um, and and it, it's just interesting because if you go back and listen to that whole interview, it wasn't, there weren't gotcha questions, but they were questions that that required a certain facility with policy, mm-hmm. right? With public policy that I think she simply didn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I we're, we're kind of getting into Veep Stakes talk now yeah. With, yeah. with the presumptive nominee, uh, Donald Trump. And I keep, I keep, you know. <laughs> I mean, wait, can we just take a moment? <laughs> what? I know. The fuck? I know. Yes, Katie. What the fuck? I think there's just so many layers of what the fuck, too. Like, the the way that we are still choosing candidates based on the eighth whitest, 2.3% of the people in the eighth whitest state in the country voting. And then a tiny state people often forget about uh, voting second. And we're like, all right, it's all done. Now let's keep, you know. This yeah, is- I think that's such a good point, Erin. I mean, it feels so bizarre and antiquated and— I don't know. You're right. It's WTF on so many levels. <laughs> like nobody nobody would design a system from the ground up to be this. You know, if you're sitting around with Not a bunch now. of people and you're like, let's design a good way to choose a candidate for a diverse, huge geographic democracy, it would we wouldn't come up with what we're doing. I but you know, as we're talking about the VP like race, um, one point of contention among coworkers at, at Crooked is like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? My stance is that I don't think that Republicans, and especially Donald Trump, learned anything from the Sarah Palin pick. Do you think that Donald Trump is going to go with somebody who looks like a Fox News anchor or Miss America contestant? Or do you think he's going to go with somebody primarily based on their policy acumen? Uh, I think the former, um, but I'm not sure it's going to be a Fox News anchor type. I think, I think whoever it is must pledge complete and utter fealty to mm-hmm. Donald J. Trump. I think what he has learned is from picking someone like Mike Pence, who, uh, however you feel about his politics, has a certain modicum of integrity and respect for American values and the Constitution, I think that he is going to require someone who has respect for one person, and that's Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You mean like Elise Stefanik, who he can call Stepfonic, and she'll still defend him? Yes, I think Elise Stefanik is a is a good candidate. I think that um, Tim Scott, mm. maybe, I mean, 
I don't know about you all, but that whole scene with him standing behind him, someone was criticizing his teeth to gum ratio. And I was like, (laughs) hey, hey, back off. As someone who has a very gummy smile, that is hitting below the belt. But, But, you know, this idea that you know, I guess there's there's some bad blood between Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. Like I, I was talking to my friend Brian, my aforementioned friend Brian Goldsmith. Uh, we did a quick Instagram live. And I was in my pajamas at 11 o'clock at night, just kind of wrapping up the New Hampshire primary. And I guess Nikki Haley didn't call Tim Scott after he dropped out of the race, you know, which is kind of bad form and sort of politics 101. So there must be some bad blood. But, but Katie, just didn't she appoint him to be yes, U.S. Senate? Yes, she did. She did. She did. And, you know, in fact, as Trump mentioned that in his speech last night, and he's like, you must really hate her. I mean, it is just like so fourth grade out there. Mm-hmm. It is just so well, bizarre. And then the response that was like, but no, I just love you more or I like you more. Yeah. It was yeah. like, oh, are you competing for half of his best friend necklace? Like he's only got one half. <laughs> you all remember best friend necklaces and how it was a little bit of a blood sport to like be the other half. Of, yeah, it's it seems very – I feel like there is a humiliation cycle that Donald Trump puts people through. And it's very predictable, but it goes at different speeds. So we have the like Kevin McCarthy, my Kevin humiliation cycle where people are forced to like humble themselves in front of Trump, do whatever he wants. And then when Trump is done using them, he just, he's like, who was that? I don't even know who that was. Back to Bakersfield for you, my Kevin. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Kevin's just kind of got these sour grapes that are, you know, admittedly (laughs) funny, but none of these people, I think, that are going through the humiliation cycle with him no, like are willing to admit that they're going through it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it's it's so bizarre. I mean, have can you imagine just I guess you really want to hold on to power to have to engage in that kind of mm-hmm. public display of humiliation and insult. And I don't know. It is, it is, it is very, the world is so strange, isn't it, ladies? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I just, I don't even know. But, you know, I, I have been trying to spend a little more time understanding why people are supporting Donald Trump. And I don't know if that's something that you all think about. I mean, I actually need to talk to more Trump voters. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are a lot of things. I think it's a confluence of many factors. And again, you know, I'm not a political anthropologist, so this is just me riffing on and theorizing on what is happening. I was talking, we had dinner with some friends last night, some really super smart people. And I was saying that I thought income inequality was actually at the root of Mm -hmm. so much of this. The fact that people at the top of the food chain are making so much money. And then people are struggling. You know, the the middle class has cratered. People are worried about their kids and their standard of living and if they're going to be able to have a middle the middle class life that maybe they did. I think there is a lot of white displacement going on with uh, you know, whites and by 2044 will be the minority race in this country. Um, so I think there's a lot of discomfort about 
this innate superiority, whether Mm -hmm. acknowledged or not, that a lot of white Americans feel. Um, But but I think class resentment is is such a strong, visceral motivator and really shapes how people feel about themselves and others. I don't know if you've ever resented people, but— Oh, constantly. Obviously. It's It's almost like it's bile. You know, mm-hmm. that you're, you really resent. And and as I was talking to a friend and she was saying, well, he's not going to fix these problems, but I think he's just a vessel for their anger and grievance and but isn't resentment. isn't it interesting, Katie, though, that, so I watched a couple of the focus groups for people in, folks in New Hampshire. And yeah, it's exactly what you're this. saying, right? They're, they're like, okay, here's the problem. I don't like Trump but I need to keep my job. And I don't like Trump, but financially I did a little bit better, not a lot better, a little bit better when he was president. And I think that what you're saying makes so much sense. But at the same time, he may be the vessel, but they also willfully ignore the fact that he cheats the people who have worked for him. He doesn't pay his bills. He is That like he the, doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about them. Mm. Like that is, that is the thing that I think is so confounding is like you can't watch any news coverage and come away. You can't even watch Fox News and not come away with the fact like Donald Trump doesn't really care about his supporters. Mm-hmm. Like even, even his most high profile supporters, he can't pronounce their names wrong. He says the wrong things about them. So I just think it's like such an interesting thing because I do think that what you're saying is totally right, but I think that it is so complicated that they don't see that he really doesn't care about them, that they're just a means to an end. And why do you think they don't see that? Do you think, I think it's because of the media that they consume and the, you know, and we're all guilty of this, the sort of bubbles that we're living in and we're getting affirmation, not information. And I think perhaps... There, you know, a lot of voters aren't exposed to anything but rah-rah Trump material, right? It's probably true, yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think, so I'm from a part of the, I'm from western Wisconsin, which was one of the deciding regions of the whole country in 2016 um, and stayed solidly Trumpy after being, after going for Obama twice. So weird part of the country. Um, Honestly, I think that some of it is unspoken and unspeakable and sort of underneath the surface. And I keep thinking back to that Adam Serwer piece, The Cruelty is the Point, which gets Mm. quoted a lot now. I think Mm -hmm. that that part of the resentment is not necessarily— I think that there are people in this country who have given up on themselves, who are like, it is not happening for me. But what can Mm. happen is me seeing it getting stuck to the people that that I don't like. Like, it's not really about— them advancing or them getting anything. It's about the people that they don't like suffering. And it doesn't really matter to them if they also suffer a little bit, as long as the people that they don't like are also suffering and they're doing it publicly. That's why I think when I watch like, you know, Morning Joe or whatever, every time they're sort of aghast that Donald Trump did something or said something, (laughs) it's like his supporters love that. They love it when the political class, like the political class is uncomfortable. They love it when people sitting in studios in New York City or Los Angeles are uncomfortable by, w- by what he did. It's it's about kind of bully. It's like seeing the people you want to see bullied being bullied. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. I think that's a, I think that's that's a good point. But it's also like what has what is even deeper than that mm-hmm. that has caused people to to be so disillusioned and feel so abandoned and angry 
and resentful that would make them enjoy that that kind of retribution, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that there are going to be incredible books written about it as we move, like, deeper into the future. But, you know, I feel like, um, you know, the the media we get served up, I, you know, I wish maybe some of the major net, networks or that they would open bureaus up in the middle of the country mm-hmm. in some of these smaller places because I don't think we hear enough from people who are different than mm-hmm. we are. And, you know, when when we do kind of explore how they're thinking, whether it's in a focus group, it's almost like animals in a zoo, mm-hmm. you know, right. that yeah. that we feel somehow alienated safari. from this huge swath of, of the country. And it's just getting, it feels like it's getting, you know, more and more polarized. And I don't know the answer, but I think that would help somehow to, to not have all the news be from New York and Washington, you know? Well, you know, Katie, I live outside of Albany. And so my local news is Albany and I watch it every night. And I think if more large media, mainstream media, I think if politicians paid more attention to their local news, like one of the biggest stories up here is that there's not broadband and people can't call 911. That's like a real fucking problem for people. Hmm. And it's like every, it feels like every election, every political race, whether it's become nationalized, right? So like here they're talking in state assembly races about whether we should aid Ukraine. And it's like, what on earth is going on? It's made people <laughs> hyper aware of what's happening in the world that, and they have opinions on it and they're voting on it, but they have no, they don't have a deep enough sense, I think, of what could really improve their lives at the local level. Right. And maybe some of that is the coverage. Do you find that the Albany News does cover local issues all in a the way lo- that it's would, all local issues that would motivate is, yep motivate voters like I watch it Katie I had I had COVID for a week and I all I did was watch the local news and send them emails I was like hey <laughs> you're one of those people oh Katie 100 percent I was like hey I just want you to know that like your uh, climate change coverage is really banging this week and I'm like really proud that you're doing this <laughs> that's the, so the, nice that's the weatherman the weatherman wrote me back and he's like, uh, I can promise you that most of the emails I get when I cover climate change are not positive. <laughs> but like all of the things, I was mad when I was done watching the news every night. I was like, what do you mean they still don't have broadband up north? Like, what do you mean they can't get these little things? And so I just think that like, even for me, it's helped me put a lot of things in perspective about, you know. Well, the problem is, and I don't mean to be like the perpetual buzzkill here, but please, you know, local news. I mean, I was just talking to uh, the head of Huffington Post Uh about maybe collaborating on some things with them. And you know, we were just, she worked in local newspapers. I mean, they're shuttering left and yep. right. You know, um, that's that's a huge problem. There are a lot of efforts underway. The MacArthur Foundation has one. The Texas Tribune is trying yep. to seed local reporters report for America. And, you know, and we were just, we were bemoaning the fact if every day we open up our email and see another news organization getting slashed, whether it's the LA Times or Sports Illustrated or some of the major networks downsizing significantly. And, you know, and and also the hatred that people seem to have for the media 
Um, mm-hmm. It's just so, I think, misplaced. And I don't know, you guys. It just feels like a hot mess right now. So I don't know. I I wish... I don't know. I wish we could do something about all these things. And I just, I'm at a loss. I, th- I think it's, I've noticed that as well. Like my hometown newspaper is now mostly just like press releases reprinted with bylines. And obituaries. Yeah. And obituaries and court appearance notifications and whatever, like, you know, foreclosure sales. And um, I, I almost think the news and media you know, during—I I was in New York working in digital media during the, like, boom years of blogging. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, okay, we're going to make so much money off this. This is going to bring in so much money. And it became a thing that people bought up and pursued as, like, an asset to make money. And, you know, it's not—like, it, reporting is expensive. And people don't want to pay for it. People got used to, like, not paying for things. And Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so true, Erin, because I was talking to Danielle, the person from Huffington Post, and— you know, we were talking, you know, for people who wanted to go into journalism now, how would they even approach it? And she was saying a lot of mistakes were made along the way. And she did say the first was giving content away for free mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because nobody really understood the Internet. Nobody, I think, understood that it was going to be taking over the world. And it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, right? People get things for free. They're not going to pay for it. But anyway, I interrupted keep going. Oh, no. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, we, we take a look at like, you know, billionaires buying up media properties, expecting to make a profit and then being like, oh, this is not profitable and selling it to a private equity firm who basically strips it down and sucks all the profit out of it and then just leaves it an empty shell of what it was. And that happens over and over again. And I think I used to work at the Daily Beast. And one thing about that place is that it seems like it is treated as like Barry Diller's expensive pet. Like he knows that <laughs> he knows that it's not gonna like make him money, but he like he's like, oh, a little, little fluffy. We love you. But like, God bless Barry Diller. I Good know. for him. They should all treat it like expensive pets. Right, right. The media is not owning a media outlet is not a way to make money. It is a way to have an expensive pet. <laughs> well, I guess obviously we, you know, everyone's gonna have to figure out a new business model. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like and how important this is for Americans to preserve journalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Mark Thompson reimagines CNN, for example, Mm -hmm. as more of a digital, you know, content service. And, um, yeah, I don't know, you guys. And there's just so much content. Yeah. I. It's funny because I think back when I did the Today Show. So I was on that show from 91 to 2006. And, you know, there were gatekeepers. Obviously, the media landscape left a lot of people out. But it also, there, were, there was a finite amount of content mm-hmm. yeah. that you could look to. And it was vetted. It was, like, yes. vetted to an extent. Yes. Right. It was vetted, I think, to a large extent. You know, we were very careful about what we said on the air. And by the way, I don't—I mean, we never gave our opinions about stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you I feel mean, liberated we said what now? was happening, and we asked questions. Yes and no. I mean, I, I think there are too many people with opinions yeah. without portfolio out there. Yep. Uh-huh. You know, they, they're not experts, and they just blab about— anything 
uh, to fill the airtime or to seem smart, and they really don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, you know, I think I sometimes long for the the days when you reported what was happening, and then perhaps you went to someone who had expertise in an area. Mm-hmm. And maybe even people who had expertise who disagreed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a clear delineation between someone reporting what was happening and someone opining on those events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mission creep of the term analysis has, I yeah. think, really <laughs> um, affected. Well, everyone's a commentator now, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, right. Well, I feel like. It Us also too. is like everybody. Everybody in the hard, in hard news wants to be John Stewart, and every comedian wants to be taken seriously as someone who is yeah. a truth teller. And it's like it's become this sort of nobody's either thing, and it's a uh, it's a little bit um, it's demoralizing. Um, okay, Katie, uh, you've been covering the news for many years. We started doing a segment recently on this show called "Does This Stupid Bullshit Matter," <laughs> where we <laughs> where we take a story that is like easy to understand and and seems maybe inconsequential but perhaps there's something deeper below it. Has there ever been a time in your career when you had to give a lot of air to a story that you considered to be stupid bullshit? And what was the story? Mm. I mean there were a lot of things I had to give time to <laughs> that I don't know if I thought thought they were stupid bullshit, but I definitely felt it was overkill mm-hmm. and a pure ratings ploy. Mm-hmm. I did feel that. I wrote about this in my book, you guys, where I was talking about Lacey Peterson. Mm. And that was, I mean, interesting. There's a whole sub-layer to this about pretty white girls getting so much attention when something awful happens. But uh, that story captivated the country, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was sort of a whodunit. She was pregnant. It was just heartbreaking and tragic. And I felt that we were milking that story to a point that it was really overkill. Mm-hmm. These are both bad words to use, I guess. But anyway, um, so I think there were times professionally where I just felt like we did stories over and over again just because they were you know, big ratings grabbers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's an epilogue to the Peterson yeah, story now. Yeah, seriously, Innocence Project, yeah, it's pretty So a friend of mine runs the Innocence Project in New York. You know, when you get to be my age, you all, you know everyone. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I called her and I said, I, I'd love to do an interview about this case. And so I reached out. They're not doing it. It's the L.A., Mm-hmm. Uh, Innocence Project people, and they they wrote back and said they weren't doing any interviews right now. But I think I if it's my understanding that they're exploring some DNA evidence that wasn't yes. available. Mm-hmm. But honestly, all signs point to Scott Peterson did this. Mm-hmm. So it uh, will yeah. be fascinating if they even determine the case is worth pursuing mm-hmm. uh, by you know, and 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 um, you know giving resources to. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that you get that interview when they start to do press. That'll be super fascinating. Well, I think there's a documentary that somebody is doing on this whole case and probably will be doing, if they're allowed, a a prison interview with Scott Peterson. Hmm. Isn't it weird how these women glom on to these prisoners and well, I don't know does he I think he has a girlfriend yeah. or I, saw I don't know that Richard Ramirez the literal night stalker had a wife in prison like it's so weird isn't it what I mean that I you know. gotta be pretty lonely to want to 
hook up with the prisoner, right? Or maybe convicted you of just, terrible things. Mar- maybe, I was going to say, or a convicted murderer. Yeah, right. Or maybe you just value your personal space and you want to guarantee that your boyfriend's never going to come over. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, so fair. Wait, but Katie, so we love to end on a exciting. Are we ending? Note. I have. I'm having so much fun. Oh, you're coming back. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got to come back. But so we have seen. We saw on social media. We saw on your Instagram. Someone's gonna be a grandmother. <gasps> <coughs> what? <laughs> yes. There's going to be another, how about we say there's going to be another member of your family? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm absolutely thrilled. It is a little freaky. Let's be honest. I don't know if any other people listening to this, you guys probably don't have many. I don't know no, how many. No, we have grandmas, we grandmas, grandmas and You grandmas. do? Are you the grandma? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So I think your first grandchild, it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a head game for a mm-hmm. second. Because I think you have to acknowledge, yes, I am old enough to have a grandchild. And by the way, my daughter Ellie is 32. It's not like she's a teenage person. (laughs) And um, so the word is kind of freaky. Someone sent me a funny article saying how baby boomers refuse to be called granny, grandma, Mm -hmm. grandpa grandpa, whatever, and they're coming up with all these cute names mm-hmm. because they obviously think, you know, just don't want to accept the fact that they're getting older. Um, but it, it's very exciting. Um, Ellie is due on March 23rd. She Ooh. lives in LA, Aaron. So maybe you'll, maybe you'll see us walking around with a new, with an infant in a, in a little carriage. Oh, LA is pretty compact. So we'll probably yeah. see you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see you around. Yeah. Somewhat. That's really and, exciting. Um, yeah. It's very exciting. Well, Katie, and do you know, are you going to be a Gigi, a Mimi? My mom is a Mimi. And she's oh, that's cute. Yeah. What are you going to be? So, um, that's been a big subject of conversation. So I was going to be Gigi. Okay. And I even had a sweater embroidered with Gigi, you know, those lingua franca lingua sweaters, franca, yeah. uh-huh, which I thought would be really fun. And now I've decided I'm not Gigi. So I have to go back to them and ask them to change the I's to O's. Go, go. You're going to be go, go? I like that. Into I kind of like Go-Go. Okay, I'm stealing it from Tori Birch. I saw her at a dinner, <laughs> and we were talking, and she said, I'm Go-Go. And I said, that's – she. I think she has step-grandchildren. I said, that is so cute. She goes, Babe Paley was Go-Go too. And I was like, I don't even know that much about Babe Paley, but she probably <laughs> was cool. And anybody <laughs> named Babe, you know, gets some props from me. Yeah. So I think I've gone from Gigi to Go-Go. I love Go-go's that. Cool. I love that. Well, when you come back, you need to tell us like what your final verdict on was yes. on it. Give us yeah. a report from the front lines of grandmotherhood or go. John, my husband, my husband is so funny. He's like, uh, I don't know. He he was like, his name is John. So we were. I said, what about Papa John? And then that's sort of cute. And you think of pizza. He's yeah. thinking of Pappy because he likes the bourbon. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. We'll see. I think sometimes the baby or the little person comes up with their own name yeah. for their grandparents. My dad but is I'm- Poof. Poof? Poof and Mimi. Poof and Mimi. Uh, and Oh, that's so cute. Oh, my Poof. gosh. My mother was, for my daughter, my mom was Grandma Bobka for a while. Cute. And then she dropped the bog- Bobka. I don't know why she's Grandma <laughs> Bobka. We're not 
Jewish. She's never had babka <laughs> before. I don't know. I think she just put, How did that happen, Erin? I don't know. She just put she just she's a verbose child, my my two-year-old. Um and she just yeah, she's got a no. So now she's just grandma? Now just grandma. Grandma. My, well, b- grandma babka is a mouthful, you've got to admit. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, her name's Juniper and she's just now started being able to say her name. She used to call herself Oh, that's so cute. She used to call herself Tipota. Which does Aww. not sound like— And does she, does she have a nickname? Is she like Junie or just Juniper? We'll see. She's two, so we don't know what's going to suit her long term, but I'm open to whatever. And and that's kind <laughs> of like a—that's a really fun thing is just seeing a little tiny person discover who they are, learn how to talk, say things wrong, say things right, and give people nicknames like Go-Go, Gigi, whatever it ends up <laughs> I being. I think it's going to— I, I think it's so exciting. People who have— grandchildren have told me, like, the whole world falls away, mm-hmm. and you are so present. And, you know, I was working so hard when my girls were little, and then, of course, my my husband died, so I was single mom, and Ellie and Carrie were only two and six when mm-hmm. Jay died. By the way, not to, again, bring some sadness into this conversation, but today is the 24th anniversary of my husband's death. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot. And I think about everything he missed and what he's missing now, you know? But anyway, it's sad. But uh, I I think the idea of of being with a child and, you know, having a little more flexibility to my schedule, um, even though Ellie lives in L.A., which is going to be hard since we're in New York, but I'm really looking forward to experiencing that wonderful awe of watching a child develop and learn and, you know, form their personality. So I'm I'm really excited about it. We don't know whether she's having a boy or a girl, mm-hmm. which That's is, I guess, too. kind of us- unusual. Yeah, we And did it's been really fun time. to think of, think of names. And anyway, I'm really excited about it. And I'll stop talking because I think you guys probably want to wrap this up. I mean, we would love to we keep talking. And and I'm going to say with my daughter, we didn't find out until she came out. So And yeah. it was so magical and so great and so exciting. And it was so, like, you know, I have family members that have found out in advance for various reasons, whatever. Everybody can do whatever they want. But right. it always felt a little bit more anticlimactic when it wasn't like a Right. And Ta-da. I didn't find out with my girls. Alyssa, did you find out? I do not have children, but my mother did not find out. Oh, so, uh, uh, but, so you're, you must. My you're, sister. My sister your has sister, a, that- a daughter. And we were like, and it was, but it was like a whole family affair. I consider myself, <laughs> you know, I'm Aunt Wee Wee. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And I got to say, I got to say LA, you know, my family is from a cold place. My husband's family is also from a cold place. And I think that it's really nice for them to have, like, a little person to visit in a warm place. Yeah, um, yes. And, and L.A. is really great for little kids because you can go outside almost every day. And I there's know. so many places to play and there's so much outdoor stuff and you're going to just have so much fun. I'm so excited for you. I'm excited, too. I have uh, one question to ask you. Mm-hmm. I I have no interest in being in the delivery room. Don't. Because I feel like that's a sacred thing mm-hmm. between two partners who are— going through this beautiful experience together. I wanted to know how you all felt about that. I absolutely am on 
your team on that. Like, I, I think um, it's totally up to the person delivering. I think that I think Ellie of- has no, I, I told her already, I'm not, I, I'm also squeamish and would yeah. probably faint. That's- yeah. Yeah. I have, and yeah. Oh, no, I, go ahead, Aaron. I, I was going to say, I have a friend whose husband, I mean, it's hard, like, when as the person giving birth, you get this rush of hormones that turns you into a superhero for like, you know, a, however long labor is. And then you forget about it. But your husband or whoever is in there does not get the same rush of hormones. <laughs> I had a friend whose husband had to go to therapy after the birth because he was no like— No shit. Yeah, because he was just like—it was like— This is very— Traumatized. Gr- yeah, he was no, like— No, you know, actually, I read an article about that. And um, I read it and uh, how for some husbands and, I guess, wives, depending, you know, to, to witness that— is quite traumatizing and it can actually really impact your relationship. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, and it's probably something people don't talk about, but mm-hmm. I don't think he's the only person who went to therapy <laughs> or who had to kind of readjust from, you know, what was witnessed during the delivery mm-hmm. to having that person as your romantic partner, right? Totally. And I think for him it was just the gore because it's so it's so metal. Giving birth is like <laughs> so metal. Um, and I think just witnessing a person that he loved going through that was very difficult for him. But in terms of like being in the delivery room, I think that if your instinct is to not be in there, then then don't. There's other ways that you can support a new mom. Um, and, and somebody who had kids, you know, you remember what you needed after your – children were born, like probably somebody to like make sure that the dishes were done and the sink was empty and make sure that I had food or make sure that you had food and make sure that, you know, everyone is comfortable and and able to get rest. And, you know, if someone wants to take a super long shower, you can hold the baby and make sure that everything's okay. You know, just there are other ways to support mom without physically being That's there so for, true. for a medical I remember ordeal. being this in this gnarly green bathrobe, like having <laughs> having not showered for like three days with my boob attached to this like milky machine, feeling like (laughs) Elsie and thinking, oh my God, this sucks. I am so miserable. It's horrible. The first week is horrible. It's absolutely (laughs) horrible. And people, I I think, thankfully, my parents weren't too like bargy, like, let me get in your space. Let me get in your space. Let me. But like, there are people who are just constantly surrounded by people and you're your boobs are leaking and you're bleeding and you look terrible and your body is shaped like an empty suitcase that like <laughs> fell off the conveyor belt. It's so hard. And I think just having somebody there, like having you there, Katie, will mean a lot to your daughter, especially because you're coming in with like empathy and care and you're there to like support her and help her through this like tough time. I think I think you're going to do great. You're already way ahead of the game that you're even asking these questions. Yeah. And I was going to say, even my sister, when she had JJ, I was like, just tell me what you want from me. And she's like, don't want you in the room. Do want you in the waiting room. And it was like, she's like, I want you there in case. And she really just wanted me there in case anything went wrong. She's like, I trust your decision-making skills. (laughs) So she's like, if anything happens, and then we just like left them and I'd go by and just, you know, we just let them do their thing. But she knew that I was there if she needed me. Um, Katie Couric, thank you so much for joining us. This Thank you. I love you guys. Interview. I love you too. I think we would be friends. I think we would be friends uh, too. Yeah. Bye, ladies. So fun Bye. being with you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you again for having me. Likewise. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. 
here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who think being enough is the bare minimum. <laughs> Before we get to Sandy Petty, some announcements for the class. We are officially in an election year. What? Haven't Ooh. heard anything about that. <laughs> Which means it's time to get psyched up with some fresh Vote Save America gear. Grab a new tee for your next volunteer shift or a crew neck that's been specially designed for peak phone banking performance. So many great tactical features, including sleeves and also soft. Wow, sounds amazing. Plus, 100% of profits from the Vote Save America collection go straight towards supporting VSA and grassroots organizations that are helping Americans get the tools they need to make an impact. Head to crooked.com slash store to shop now. All right, Alyssa, we got to yeah. talk about the giant pink elephant in the room. Barbie? The Barbie movie. What the fuck? Okay. Come on. Yeah, this is... Okay, so in case our listeners haven't been paying close attention to Oscar nominations, and if you haven't, I salute you because they are a giant waste of time. Unless you have a friend who has nominated... Uh, like Cord Jefferson, his movie was nominated. Yeah. Very excited. Then clap, clap, clap. Yay. Yay. Yay for people who work hard and are good people and did a great job. Um, but, you know, in, if you weren't paying attention, so the Barbie movie was the biggest movie of the year last year, bar none. It was a global phenomenon. Yep. Uh, there were some snubs when it came to Oscar nominations. The film was nominated for a Best Film, mm-hmm. but Greta Gerwig was snubbed in the Best Director category and Margot Robbie was snubbed in the Best Actress category. Uh, Meanwhile, Ryan Gosling got a nomination for playing K. 
can in the movie, which on a sort of macro level proves the whole point of the Barbie movie, which is yeah. that no matter how perfect you are as a woman, it's not going to be good enough. You know what this made me think of? What? Our dear friend, uh, Megan Gailey, who wrote for the Critics' Choice Awards, where one of the funniest jokes I think uh, Chelsea Handler made was Greta Gerwig, box office blockbuster. What do you think Hollywood Hollywood executives are saying about her right now? Should we give her another chance? Should we give her a second <laughs> chance? Like, I mean, come the fuck on. How do you take – like, it's not just – that Barbie was a big, great movie. It's that people have been talking about making a movie like this for years and years and years. She took it and did it in such a smart, interesting, captivating way um, with music and the set, like everything about it. Like there couldn't have, it feels like to me, there couldn't have been someone who directed the shit out of their movie more than Greta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a whole and, vibe. It was definitely, right? a, it was a vibe. Um, yeah, and and I think a lot of people were pissed, and a lot of people pointed out that it's, you know, that's exactly the point that the Barbie movie was making, was that women are overlooked no matter how how much they achieve. I'm, I, I also want to point out that Gerwig has had all three of her films nominated for Best Picture. She had uh, Lady Bird, The yeah. Woman, and this, and she still hasn't been nominated for Best Director. Which is crazy, because those are all three wonderful movies. I thought that Lady Bird was exceptional. I thought that Little Women was not my favorite adaptation of Little Women, but we don't need to, I agree. Need to, get, we don't need but, to get into it. But it was still great, but Lady Bird. Lady Bird was, was great. Um, and Barbie, I thought, was a really good movie, too. I'm going to say, you know, I, I don't want to be like a... I'm going to say I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. I think that the fact that it wasn't nominated for adapted screenplay, which is stupid anyway, like that it had to be in the adapted screenplay category instead of original right. screenplay because it's based on IP. Like, that's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's so stupid because, like, there is no book or piece of media. Like, no. the doll did not—it's whatever. That's uh, stupid rule. It should have been in up for consideration in the original category, but it wasn't, but whatever. Um I'm going to say, like, you know, I haven't seen all of the other nominations I for original either. screenplay. And so I don't think that it's fair for me to say that it's like a total fucking sham that she wasn't nominated for original screenplay, uh, which she co-wrote with her husband, I believe, Noah Baumbach. Yep. Um, I, I don't want to say that it's like a total snub because I haven't seen all the other movies yet. And, and so I, I think that's totally fair. I think sometimes during award season, people are like, what, the one movie I've seen didn't get nominated? It's got to be better than all these movies I haven't seen. Correct. But also, uh, look at the optics here's are bad. The thing. The optics here's are the bad. thing. If it had not been nominated, if Margot Robbie had not been nominated, if Greta had not been nominated for Best Director, that's one thing. It's more like the cherry on the fuck you Sunday is nominating Ryan Gosling. Well, and then America Ferreira is in a really awkward position because she got nominated. Yes. And and like, you know, I think that that you know, how do you balance being super happy about your performance being and recognized? And I think that both of them did a good job. They both put statements out that were like there's no Barbie movie without Greta. This is mm -hmm. And Margot Margot's production company is the yes. one that made the whole thing happen. And honestly, she became Barbie. She completely put her whole self into being Barbie on the red carpet. Every single time. They're I mean, it was a really a sight it. to behold. It they're was making incredible. A, they're making a book of it. A coffee really? table book of, of Margot as Barbie. 
like on the by by her stylist who was like styling her red carpet on her <gasps> press tour. I thought it was just like I thought the whole press tour and Margot's role in it, both how she played Barbie and how she just like completely delivered as like an actress selling her movie. Yeah. I thought it was just like Totally I, agree. It was just like sublime and like mold breaking. And I think that a lot of people trying to replicate the success of Barbie are going to look at how she did it. She and was a 360. 100%. And, you know, there was the, the one bad thing about the timing of the strikes. I mean, there was a lot of bad things because people were like, oh, no, I'm not getting money anymore. Um, but it cut short the press tour of Barbie. Yes. <laughs> so it was like we were deprived of some of the looks. I think that she might have been saving some of them for award season. I mean— Or, like, she might what? have been like, I didn't get to use this during the press tour, and so I'm going to use it during award season. Well, what she's been pulling out for award season has been 10 out of 10. Absolutely, 10 out of 10. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of— on one hand, I think that the optics of the who was nominated and who wasn't when it came to yeah. the Barbie movie was just like very like, oh, great, googly moogly. But on the other hand, I think that that grumbling about Oscar nominations, if you haven't seen all of the movies that did yeah. get nominated. I mean, we're talking about best the best actress category now contains the first ever Native American actress totally. to be no, nominated. Without question. And if Margot had been nominated, one of the people would not have been. And so right. it's like. No, again, I think it comes down to just the Ken of it all. <laughs> That's true. That is that is true. The Ken That's of it all. That's how it feels to me. If if it had, it would have felt like a snub, but it felt quite pointed when they were like, "But Ken, mm-hmm. and America yeah. Ferrera, and America Ferrera." Yeah, I mean, look, it was, America it was, Ferrera thing just fe- do- doesn't feel like it plays into the like bad optics of the whole thing. I think it just is. It puts her in a slightly awkward position. But yeah, I'm very I happy agree. for her. Former hysteria guest, by the way. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So congratulations to America and oof, uh, a hearty click of the tongue to the people who. Uh, or to the people, can you imagine seeing that list of nominations before it was made public and being like, "Oh no, fuck!" Yeah, oh, God. God damn it! Here we we're, go. We're, it's they're lucky that that Twitter is an empty spirit yeah. Halloween of what it used to be because the Twitter reactions would have been crazy. Hillary Clinton reacted to it on Instagram, so Look, you know when you've got Hillary's attention. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about something that is not really that petty, but what? is. Um, it's, it sounds petty because it has to do with like a niche clothing company that mostly rich moms Oh, I'm like. so mad about this. I'm so I'm mad, so about, mad this. about Okay. This. So Kite Baby is a brand of clothing. It's like bamboo baby clothing for yep. babies with sense. It's really like high quality and nice and silky. Which, by the way, the CEO developed because her child suffered from eczema. And it right. was found that bamboo clothing, there's just like, there's so much in this story that made me mad, but like. She did it to solve a problem, and mm-hmm. here we go. Sorry. Right. So she started this company based on a- an empathy and care for mothers and babies and their mm-hmm. needs, right? Mm-hmm. Female CEO, female founder. One of her employees adopted a baby, and mm-hmm. the baby was born very, very premature. I think like 23, yep. 23 weeks was just the razor edge of— Not even a pound. Not even a pound, but 23 weeks is like just the very limit of when modern technology is able to keep them alive for long enough. Like they have to have so many interventions to survive and it is 
a long stay in the NICU, and it is super stressful for any, you know, parents involved, and it requires so many resources. Anyway, so one of her employees adopted a baby who was in the NICU, um, requested some accommodations for work. She wanted to work remotely. Um, she wanted to have, uh, I think, some extra leave. Um, mm-hmm. She just wanted some accommodations for this, like, extremely stressful complication in her life plan. Right. And the CEO denied her. Denied yes. her. And there was a huge firestorm. People got super mad. And then the CEO was like, whoops, I'm sorry. I'm going to make it right. Um, do you think enough was done? Like, is this like... I have so much to say. This made me so angry. Uh, first, we should have paid family leave in this country. That's one. Two, the CEO... Here's the thing. When you fuck, first of all, she admitted, the CEO admitted she made this decision herself, that she was the one who's like, sorry. Now, the intricacies of the leave plan there were like based on how long the woman had worked at the company. She got two weeks off paid. If she signed something saying after that, she'd come back for six months. She's like, I can't possibly do that. And so then they were like, well, then you're fired. And she's like, well, can I work remotely? And they're like, no, you're fired. We deem you as like an in-office person and you're fired. Okay. Erin, of women who have children under five years old, this is a a Brooks, uh, Brookings Institute report that came out last summer. Of women who have children under five, 70.4% work. So if you have a company that's like, we're here for moms and how many moms need, like, like this woman here, and here's the other problem. One, you cannot, you cannot pretend to be something externally that you are not internally. That mm-hmm. is number one. She is not progressive. She is not taking care of families. She's not a girl's girl. Ilk. Not She's a not girl's a girl's girl. girl. Here's the other thing. When you go, I don't know how many times people need to learn this lesson, Erin, but when you go and you're like, shit, I need to apologize. Going to the lawyers in your company to finger fuck your statement so that you don't set yourself up so that you get sued, right? Like I understand the fine dance, right? You don't, you want to apologize, but you don't want to say anything where you make yourself vulnerable to a secondary law, like a lawsuit or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Right. Okay. It never works. Mm-hmm. If you have to apologize, you just got to go the fuck out there and apologize. And guess what happened? She had to make another apology. And she came back for round two, the old CEO. And she was like, listen, I gave you a statement that was like lawyered to fuck and like, here's the deal. I'm sorry. And it it was much more, I mean, being an asshole, but it was much more authentic. She took total responsibility for what had happened. And it's like, Erin, come on. Like, like we've seen this happen so many times. The whole thing, the whole thing is such a formula. Like Mm -hmm. progressive company is like, we're the best, but then like they don't walk the walk internally. Mm -hmm. And then they have to apologize and they do a bad job and then they have to apologize a second time. And like, I want to know, have they actually, they said they were going to, but I would like to follow this story and see if they actually change their maternity leave policies um, going forward. Because like- Again, this country should have paid leave. Yeah. That is something that's so important. 
But yeah. like, and FMLA th- is is really like until you've ha- had to use it, you don't really know how flimsy it is. Uh, and I think a lot of companies that should, on their own volition, do better, hide yes. behind FMLA, being like, and they're like, oh, they're like, we're, we we're can't, doing, we can't do yikes, anything. Yikes! So FMLA, it. FMLA only applies to like 50% of employees in this country. Yeah. So like you might think that you qualify for FMLA, but you probably, you're 50-50. You might, you might not. FMLA also only applies, it, it provides job protection and no pay. Right. Um, you, and you aren't even guaranteed your real, your old job back. You're guaranteed an equivalent job. job. Yes. An equivalent job in the corporate ladder, but some of those jobs are just totally dead. You can come back from FMLA and just have be put in a dead-end position with, like, no right. chance to advance. Um, FMLA only kicks in once you've been at a, at a workplace for 12 months. So, like, your employer can just be like, oh, you haven't been here for a year. I guess you should have known that your baby would be born premature. <laughs> you know, like, I guess you should have known. Well, whatever. Like, there, there are things that FMLA, you cannot plan for. With around the birth of a child, and FMLA right. is just really, really rigid, and childbirth is really like unpredictable. And like another thing I wanted to say is like the CEO of Kite Baby ruined this woman's experience with the birth of her child. Ruined it. You can't unring that bell. You know, in addition to the stress of having a premature baby and not knowing whether or not that baby would survive, and seeing that baby you know, in, in in a glass tube hooked up to all kinds of things and getting injected with steroids to help its lungs finish developing. Like, in addition to that, you are always going to remember as part of that child's birth, the fact that your CEO was a fucking asshole to you. The, C- yes. the CEO at a company that is allegedly for moms. No, it's not for moms. It's there to extract profit from moms. And when moms are not there for it to extract profit from, you're not useful to the company anymore. And I, I mean, I think sadly, you know, this happens in a lot of companies across the country every single day. It's not as blatantly hypocritical as it is in this case. But yeah, we need fucking nationwide paid family leave. Yeah, because you know why else, as a fucking child-free woman, I'd like to just pop off on this one. We need a federal policy because a lot of companies, too, will be like, oh, yeah, we have a we have a good policy, but we're actually not doing anything ourselves. We're just going to make the other people do more work, and yes. we're not going to help them. And which is like such a fucking shit dynamic to put mm-hmm. people in. And so anyway, I just want to say that, too, is like, do better. You're all... You're all profitable. Right. Well, and then also, like, people who don't have children, whether by choice or circumstance, being put upon because, you know, there's, like, one less employee and the company doesn't, like, spring to hire a temp to help, like, with some of the lifting. Yeah. I mean— in other countries, there are employees who literally their That's job their job to float around to different companies and yep. fill in when people are away on parental leave. And I just it's it's just so stupid. And also, like, we wonder, oh, we wonder why the uh, birth rate is falling in this country. I don't know. I don't know. Could it put on my thinking cap? Could it be it's that on. thinking caps are on? Absolutely no support for parents. And in many cases, in places where you expect to find it, there is overt hostility to them. Yeah. Like, and it is so short-sighted and stupid and gross. And Kite Baby, ugh, so disappointing. Luckily, there is still little sleepies, which— Thank God. And hopefully, look, maybe she's one to grow on, you know? Maybe she—maybe the CEO learns from this and actually does 
implement a nice policy. Yeah, and let this be a lesson. If you're a CEO of a company that has a shitty family leave policy, this could be you in the future. You You can fix it. You can fix it now, or you can, you know, see the ghost of maternity leave future play out (laughs) as you're watching this whole thing happen to the Kite Baby CEO. Okay, that's all the time we have for this week's show. What a great episode. This is really fun. Uh, Listeners, we love you. We swear we're going to do more shout-outs. We just keep running out of time. Yeah. We keep running out of time because we keep having too much show. Too so much, much show this week. So much show this So week. much show this week. Thank you to Katie Couric for joining us. What a lovely person. She didn't just join us. She hunkered down She hunkered down. She hunkered down. She she sat, le- you know, with her legs crisscross applesauce on her chair like we were all in a sleepover. You know, it was just great. KatieCouric.com is the place to sign up for her newsletter. Yes, which is wonderful. Really, really nice. Uh, really— I- I feel like her voice just shines through in everything that she does. So if you just like the way that she breaks things down, that's what that's what her newsletter does. Yes. And uh, Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. This week, every week, listeners, for if you, so many weeks. I know so many, like literally years, years, literally years. years. And we just love each other more than we did before. I know it's great. It's a it's a growing relationship. It's like an alligator. It doesn't have a pituitary Whoa. gland. It never stops growing. Why did I? Sharks. Why did you do that? You're crazy. I am. Uh, listeners, hysteria at crooked.com. If you want to get in touch, you got feedback, you got tips, anything you want to say to us. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. Subscribe to Hysteria on YouTube for access to video versions of your favorite segments and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a nice review. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. We get audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okolate, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.